We are Wrestling Elitist. I am Chris Scott Moore. Joined today, as always, with Sean, no relation to Kevin Nash, and the Gib Show, Alex Gibson. How's it going, guys? You can't prove that. Up, humanoids. You don't have medical <laughs> records on that. That's that's my father. <laughs> that would be awesome if he was. Holy shit. Okay, so uh, thank you for listening to us today. Uh, subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating, and please put some comments or questions in the review as well so we can address them on the show. Also, visit us on WrestlingElitist.com. We've had some columns and articles and reviews come up in the last couple of days. So please check them out, uh, doing a deeper dive into full gear, a look back at some nostalgia with Survivor Series, shitting all over this year's Survivor Series, and then some other articles are still to come. So please check us out at WrestlingElitist.com. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, what we do here is we talk about our favorite match of the week, our favorite moment of the week, news item of the week, cringe-worthy item of the week, and then we get positive again and talk about what we're anticipating and the weeks to come. So that's the show. Without further ado, let's dive right into it, boys. What was your match of the week, Alex? There's a couple of good options this week, uh, but I went with the main event from Dynamite this week, Sammy Guevara defeating Jay Lethal in what I had as a four-star match. I thought that it was a great debut for Jay Lethal. I think one thing that's kind of cool and unique about AEW that I haven't heard anyone else talk about is typically, you know, the trope in wrestling is when you debut a new wrestler, they always are winning their first match, probably their first few matches to kind of get the fans to buy into them. And AEW has this hardcore fan base and has been able to really showcase guys in big matches like this with Jay Lethal, where he came in, didn't get the win in his debut match, but he looked spectacular. Um, I really liked the beginning spot when they were kind of t- countering everybody, each other's moves, which is something that happens a lot in wrestling. And a lot of times it comes off as a little bit too choreographed. This came close to that, but it like it did a great job of kind of teetering on the edge of like being a cool spot and not being too like, oh, this just looks like two dudes doing ballet at this point. Um, I thought that they did a really good job of kind of just showcasing uh, some great moves. Sammy going through that table uh, kind of doing that flip off the turnbuckle into the uh, announcer's table. That was insane. Uh, the suicide dive that he basically just stopped Jay Lethal midair and then just hit him with a brain buster was awesome. It wasn't the best brain buster I've ever seen, but still a really cool spot. I thought it was just the perfect showcase to see Jay Lethal. I'm so excited to see him in AEW. He's one of those guys that's been around forever. I think they said he's been training since he was 16. This is his 19th year in the business. So getting to see him at 35, he's still in his prime. And we're going to actually get to see him on television every week. To me, he's somebody that definitely should be a TNT champion in the future and even potentially a world heavyweight champion. Yeah, that was also my match of the week. And I will uh, reiterate what you were saying, too, that I think he definitely could be a TNT champion. Um, I gave the match three stars. I took one star down because of that table spot, actually. Um, one of the things that I've been um, and critical, I guess, if you will, of Sammy is that he'll do these amazing, fantastical top rope spots, but then it doesn't really lead to much and he's not selling it. Um, he kind of sold a little bit with his ribs, the injury, but that was such a tremendously huge spot. Um, and they immediately went into the ring and he did a reversal and started going into moves again. Like that big of a super move, I wanted to see a little bit more of a slowdown and a pause there, but it not like 
it's not like I'm shitting all over the match. It was still a fantastic move and a great high spot. Um, and he did sell some of that with, uh, you know, not able to lift Jay Lethal and his ribs were hurting him at various points. Still a fantastic match. I agree with you wholeheartedly in that it did come on the verge of choreography, but that's just because they're both so crisp and they're both so fluid and they both complement each other so well. Uh, these folks will get a chance to wrestle again, I think, in the future, and they'll have better matches because they got a chance to work some of the ring rust off each, uh, off each other. So I love the match too. I thought it was a highlight. The the funny thing about you saying him not selling that table spot enough is he's been wearing that, that rib stuff for a couple of weeks, selling something from weeks ago, but then he doesn't really fully sell it in the moment, like that crazy spot. I will say one thing that I'm, I don't love about Sammy is I don't fully connect with him as like a character or anything like that. And like the whole, every time he goes to do something when he does like the, like kind of like the, I'm crazy, I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, instantly that, that slightly takes me out of it. And I really hope Jericho pulls him aside and tells him to stop doing it. Yeah. And like, and going back on the no sell off of big top rope move, he did that with Sean Spears a lot. He's done it with MJF and the couple of times they've wrestled. So again, we're not shitting on on, on him. He's going to have a fantastic run. He's what, like 22 or something. Like he's got so much, so, so many yeah. years to be, uh, again, one of the pillars uh, of AEW. So great match. Um, you had it four. I had it three. Sean, what was your thoughts about that match or what was your match of the week? Um. Yeah, I agree with you. It was a three-star match. I think everything this week kind of capped at a three for me. But uh, I have to say it was definitely my favorite Sammy Guevara match. He kind of showed out and doesn't doesn't hurt to have Jay Lethal in the match with you. But some of it was a little bit choreographed. Kind of seems like going for that top rope moonsault to the ta- uh, table just wasn't necessary, wasn't needed, didn't do you any good. So, But overall, Great match, good way to end Dynamite on a high note. But for my match of the week, kind of is the first match of the, the week. Uh, Brian Danielson versus Evil Uno. I gave it three stars. I think it was a. It started off hot with them all in the ring. We finally get to the match. Danielson just proud heel fashion, admiring his handiwork throughout the match. Just really taking all the five counts that Aubrey was giving him. <clears throat> Evil Uno just didn't really give up. He kind of put his chest up to him. Like, you're not going to just push me over like a little piss ant. I'm going to, I'm going to give you some shit too. Um, I love that little catch of the kick swing. Normally he does like gives it to the ref or someone else and does a neck breaker. Love that. And as soon as he just started, like hits him with a flying knee, then he like, no pin. We're going to stomp his fucking head in the way. He just kind of rolled him up into that triangle choke and the immediate call of the ray, uh, the bell, just great. She really just sold it well. The way she just flung his leg off to break the hold, and he's flexing his arms. Just it was great heel work from Brian, and uh, I can't wait for the more to come. I'll talk about that later. Seeing heel Brian, how quickly he changed his style of wrestling, and obviously he was already doing the stomping and like all the crazy different, you know, rest or not rest holds, but submission holds and things like that. But just how quickly he turned from happy to be here, Brian, but I'm also going to kick your head into now. I just want to hurt everybody. And I specifically want to hurt people who love hangman incredible transition. I will talk about it soon, you know, going into it further, but Danielson has just been able to like, I never would have guessed that people were going to boo him in that match going into it. Like if you would have told me they're turning Danielson heel tonight and they're, he will get booed. Wouldn't have believed it. 
And he did just a great job of kind of twisting that and turning it real quick. It was a really good match. I think Evil Uno, uh, him and The Butcher, both, if you've looked at them since they've come into AEW, they both slimmed down a ton and they both look great. They're both moving great. And I think that it's really cool to see Uno getting a little bit of a chance to do some stuff outside of his normal tag team with um, Stu Grayson. Yeah, he's a perfect guy to be fed to heels because he has a hell of a motor and he's very underrated in the ring and he's not going to be hurt by taking a loss. He's really impressed me uh, with his improvement since AEW's launch. When they first debuted, it was like, oh, who the fuck is this guy? And I think he got shit on a lot online and it wasn't impressive because no one knew of him at first. But as you got more acclimated to him, you got to see how much he has comparisons to like a young Mick Foley. He has that same amount of speed and just the ability to take a lot of punishment. And he does some funny shit in the background too. Like during that uh, promo duel, he was continuously stretching and trying to get loose and like getting psyched up for the match, <laughs> but also still kind of looking like he was scared shitless as well. So he's very talented and I'd love to see what he's able to do uh, in the years ahead. But let's go into our moment of the week. Alex, I think yours is going to still be on the Danielson and Hangman. Yeah, let's uh, let's keep it rolling. Uh, let's let's test how many times I can say Danielson correctly. I, yes. Uh, oh my god, I was like, oh, we're killing it so far. Oh, it. <laughs> um, I yeah, my moment of the week was his heel turn overall. I think him coming out and just immediately setting the tone. The fact that he got everybody just boo saying WrestleMania, and you know that immediate, you know, oh, I just came out to uh, to congratulate Hangman, and he ended up being a jerk to me. Like immediately twisting those things. He just did a great job of immediate, like getting the crowd to turn on him. I don't want to keep getting repetitive about it, but the fact that I actually was instantly rooting against him uh, says something about his talent that I don't right. even think that I really realized. Obviously, I've been a I've been a fan of his for a long time under a different name, even. <laughs> uh, but seeing what he's been able to do uh, is just it's just a statement to them. I actually. Uh, Spoiler alert, I'm the person that's usually behind the Twitter account. I retweeted somebody who said how amazing it is that Mox was supposed to be the person that turned heel. They turned Daniel Sin. Uh, Sin. Bailey. Oh, that was close. Uh, Daniel Sin. Uh, They turned him heel and they made it seem like that was the plan all along. Like it wasn't just something that they had to do out of necessity. Yes, I love how he introduced himself when he came out to the crowd in Virginia. Just the little tiny subtlety of a heel already by saying, I'm essentially here to congratulate you. And then it went into how (laughs) he's disappointed that he's not wrestling Kenny Omega, which immediately gets the crowd to turn on him. And he just wretches it up by bringing up WrestleMania and saying that he's wrestled the night after. That got everyone against him. And Mm. it's such a great way to play the crowd against him because that is something that's going to piss off this hardcore fan base that wants nothing to do with WWE. And hearing the name WrestleMania sounds disgusting to those hardcore. So that was a great, subtle thing to do. Because, right, you're in a huge predicament. He is going to get yes chance. He's going to have the crowd supporting him. And he's still very relatively new and fresh. And so you do want to root for Brian Danielson, because we all enjoy this character that's new and I almost did it. Oh my God. Good job. But, Good job. Um, yeah, you do want to support him. So this was a great move that uh, they have so much momentum going into wherever the hell the storyline is going. And now it still continues to set up Hangman as the number one guy. I like that Hangman was quick to come back with the rejoinder of 
uh, actually, I'm here because I kicked his ass and I beat him in under 30 minutes, unlike you. So he had a quick retort. He didn't look like a chicken shit. He didn't look like an idiot who didn't know what he was doing. This is a strong baby face that we can get around. And now he has confidence in this new, you know, new iteration of his character. So I loved seeing this promo. They have great charisma together, uh, had the pull apart brawl and going at each other tooth and nail. Loved every bit of it. This was magic to watch. It was one of those great segments that um, it's going to take a lot to top, but you know, maybe we'll see it get top next week or the week after because they're on quite a roll. Yeah, he definitely had the the heat turn up to a hundred throughout the whole twenty minutes that he was on screen. He just from beginning promo with them to the match to then after the match just continued to burn that heat. And then adding in the fact that they've we we were talking about in our group chat a few days ago and somebody pointed out the kind of the roadmap that they have the next few weeks in terms of having uh, this week he's going to be facing Colt Cabana in Chicago. And then next week, I'm not sure who it is, but it's kind of a there's a few people in a row where every single time he's going to be facing a member of the Dark Order and he's going to be able to get extra heel heat in that city. Hopefully Anna Jay's from Detroit, someone on that faction <laughs> so we could see them live. That'd be perfect. Yeah. All right, Sean, what was your moment of the week? Uh, sticking with the, the heelish side of wrestling, I went with the opening segment from Dynamite, uh, kind of the passing off of the torch in the elite. We see Kenny kind of go through his little spiel about he's injured. He's gone through it all. He's still the best, but he's got to heal up for a bit. And says he's going to need someone to take the keys for a little bit. And Adam Cole just automatically assumes it's him. That piece of shit, shit eater, really just thinks it's all for him. But actually, it was for Matt Jackson, the person who's been in the elite probably the longest. So what's that set up? I don't know. I think we'll definitely see some, hopefully some stuff with Adam Cole with like maybe title implications if he's going to kind of take on the the lead in this dynamic group that they have. Um, it opens up Omega to come back as a face or kind of maybe come back as a, a heel still and then turn on them and see where that goes. Just a funny, awkward scene to start off the thing. And, and it's just who knows where it's going to go, but there's definitely plenty of ways they can go with it. Yeah, you know, I think maybe fans could get turned off by the promotion being centered around the elite, but they do such a fantastic job of evolving what their characters' motivations are, and who's uh, a top of the pecking order. So I'm interested to see what happens. I'm also thinking that Adam Cole's going to be the guy that goes after the title, goes after Hangman, and that's going to piss off Kenny Omega when he comes back. Perhaps if they do end up signing Kyle O'Reilly, they can do something of a um, split where it's uh, the Undisputed Era taking over the Elite. I don't know, maybe that's something. But I like this idea right now of like kind of playing in the middle because we don't know what's going to happen with their contracts. So they can just do these subtle little builds. But it does kind of, we talked about last week, and then in our uh, full gear review, or uh, post-examination, excuse me, we talked about Shadows of DX in 1998, where Sean got injured, now Hunter took over the stable. Now it looks like Adam Cole is doing the same thing. That's a formula that absolutely works. Yes. And, you know, we're still thinking is Kevin Owens coming in a few months and that's a that easily makes Mount Rushmore something. And also, I don't know if this has been on purpose. Obviously, Kenny has been injured for a while and they've been talking about how as soon as he gives up the title, he'll probably go on a hiatus. But it's been really interesting so far 
every person that has won the title, I mean, granted, it's only been three guys now, they've then taken a little bit of a break and gone away right after rather than immediately getting into a new feud or just refuting with the person who just beat them for their title. So I hope that I kind of hope that they kind of continue to that. I mean, sometimes you can do rematches for the for the title. But in general, I really like this idea of this guy was at the top. Let's let them go away for a little bit, kind of, you know, get get some other people at the top and then reheat them once it's time. Yeah, like they kind of have used everything they have to maintain being at the top, the pinnacle of the the industry. And then finally, their body takes a turn. They need a little yeah, time off. And it's just great little maybe storytelling, but just great how it works. No, and it's it, it's a subtle subtlety, but it's a good point. And you do want to see Kenny take some time off. Uh, it's been confirmed that he does have, what is it, fucking uh, heel issues, shoulder issues, vertigo having vertigo and being able to run in the ring like that is insane. And him saying, well, I've just become orientated to it. It's sad. You want to see him take some time off and rest. No one's going to be pissed off about that. Just like no fan was pissed off that Moxley needed to take time off to sort out his personal life. Um, And these guys do deserve an off season. And this roster is certainly big enough where there's opportunity for other people to shine and to shuffle people in and out. And nothing's going to be hurt with Kenny taking some time off. And hopefully he takes more than just, two months off or three months off, let him just take some substantial time off and really look into what's going on with vertigo because that sucks. And that's gotta be hell to wrestle like that. So I'm looking forward to him getting healthy more than I'm interested in uh, him wrestling Okada, which speaking of the forbidden door, let's go into, (laughs) I'm kicking ass with segues, by the way, that's my charm as a host. Um, I want to go into what your guys' news items of the week were. Yeah, I think we're both on the same pace, Alex. Um, New Japan Pro Wrestling and Noah are going to debut an a additional Wrestle Kingdom show um, on January 8th, this coming January. Great news. It's pretty interesting. I mean, we just saw we just saw the Survivor Series happen on Sunday, and now we're actually going to see a real like brand battle of supremacy might be good. Might be a good thing, you know, like some actual, actual matches that mean something, not just, you know, we have to make these people win one time a year, brother. <laughs> it's the um, only time besides. <laughs> time. Uh, and hopefully it's like, unlike kind of like the uh, new Japan ring of honor shows that we've seen before. I think Tanahashi kind of spoke on this one during the press conference of let's see brand versus brand entirely the top guy versus their top guy, not a a smattering of the top faces versus the heels of another company. And we know who's going to win the match. Um, I can't tell you a whole lot of names from Noah, but definitely gets me excited to maybe look into this a little bit, see what's out there. I know I think uh, Mara Fuji is there. Like that'd be great to see a a him and Tanahashi rematch. Um, Awesome to hear. Adds another night to Wrestle Kingdom. Who doesn't? Who wouldn't want three nights of New Japan Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome? And when they first announced three nights of the Tokyo Dome or three nights of uh, Wrestle Kingdom, you're kind of like, what are they going to do? That that right. almost feels like too much. And this is a perfect way to split that up. Perfect way to make it something a little bit different. Uh, like you, Sean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know a bunch of names from Pro Wrestling Noah that are going to be there, but. I do know that uh, Muda is going to be there. He's signed to uh, to Noah. So when I look at 
what this means. I think it's an opportunity to get more into the Japanese wrestling world. You know, I've followed a little bit of stuff, but I just, it's so accessible with New Japan compared to everything else. And like the article that I wrote before, like the first episode we talked about, there's so much to watch. So if this really gives a good exposure, maybe this is something that I can lean into as something that I watch as well beyond AEW and New Japan, um, and even probably replace New Japan for a little bit just because that, you know, we've been watching that for so long to just see new talent would be really nice. But overall, it was a cool surprise to see that two companies are working together. I think especially seeing that WWE has pulled back their desire to try to expand into Japan, to see two companies come together now and try to create a stronger power, I think is uh, really exciting. And hopefully this works out well, and hopefully it becomes something that is uh, a regular occurrence yearly for like the Wrestle Kingdom time. And it really does. I, I know you joke about the whole battle for, for brand uh, supremacy, but like to me, this is something that you actually can see. Like, I'm proud to work for Noah. I'm proud to work for New Japan, rather than like, oh, I, I work for the blue team at WWE. You work for the red team at WWE. <laughs> I think uh, this just gives a little bit more realism to that aspect of it. I mean, it's going to seem realistic if they wear blue or red shirts. Then we'll know. Then we'll yeah, know that it has deep meaning. <laughs> Crips versus Bloods. Yeah, that's what that is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gang warfare. Yeah. And I kind of <laughs> echo your thoughts too, Alex. I mean, we're getting close to Wrestle Kingdom season. We'll talk more on the podcast about Wrestle Kingdom because we're all into that. And that's going to be an awesome show. I know it will be. But they do need to see some fresh faces in New Japan. And they were really ravaged by COVID. So it'll be cool to see uh, some new matchups and to learn some new uh, folks, because I don't know shit about Noah, just to be honest. I've never watched them at all. So um, it'll be fun to watch them. And, um, you know, hopefully, Sean, you have a subscription to that that we can, look, you know, we can use too. And that'll be great. We can talk about it. We can throw it in the budget. The wrestling elitist yeah. budget. <laughs> and speaking of New Japan, so my news of the week was uh, seeing uh, Ishii come through the forbidden door. Now, first of all, am I pronouncing his name right? Because Excalibur was like Ishii. Ishii, yeah, it's it's Ishii. It's like the you one kind of like double say it. Yeah. Okay. Tom, Tom anyway, Ishii. so the Stone Pitbull. <laughs> there you go. To Perfect. Uh, he's fucking awesome. If you've never watched him before, if you're only watching AEW because you strictly like AEW, you've never had a chance to watch New Japan. Again, log on using Sean's uh, login. It's great to be able to watch that. <laughs> yeah, the password is. <laughs> yeah. Um, he stole the show in the G8, which is their King of the Ring tournament that's not insulting. It's these great matches where it's head to head and it's round robin style. Um, and the, they have fantastic matches. And the Stone Pitbull is one who always steals the show and puts on probably the most four and a half to five star matches. 2018, I remember that summer. Uh, he had some great bouts with Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi that were legendary. So if that's your first time watching him, don't think that, I mean, Orange Cassidy's fun, but good God, he's got so much more in the tank and that isn't the best representation of him. But it's cool to see him there because it almost promises now that Okada is going to come. So that's a lot of mentioning Okada too on commentary and another chaos guy. So you think they're going to deliver on that one. So I'm excited to see what happens with this. Yeah. Ishii's that one to definitely show to someone who's never watched New Japan. Like yes. this is what strong style is. This is somehow he's still alive the next day and able to maybe put on a match or just walk around the house because the things that he goes through, 
amazing. He doesn't have a neck. He's just a brick shit house no. that will fuck you up. Yeah, if like Norm Macdonald was the comedian's comedians, the Stone Pitbulls, <laughs> the wrestler's wrestler. The guy the can make everyone look great. He can lose and everyone comes out a winner and you yeah. still believe in him and you're still a tremendous fan of him and he doesn't need to win all the time but he looks very legitimate and real and it doesn't look phony it doesn't look choreographed everything looks crisp and smooth and real and he's able to build a story that has a lot of drama in the end so one of our favorite wrestlers i think just we never talked about it but i think he's one of all of our probably top 10 guy uh, that we do love to watch and especially love to watch during the G8 season. So awesome to see him in AEW. Hopefully we get to see him more like Suzuki had a couple of matches. I'm hoping that he'll get some opportunities to be here and wrestle some of the AEW talent that they have. Ishii is one of those guys that I'll never, I'll never skip his match. Even when you are in the G1 and you're looking at him doing the opening the, tags, the opening tags, like those are even always good. Yeah. I will say, I don't know what the nickname Stone Pitbull means, but it makes sense with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish I could take it for myself as the, the Stoned Pitbull, but <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, that, I'm not I, that tough. That is what you're getting. In, I, uh, when I host next, that is going to be what you're going to as. <laughs> I'm not that thing. tough, but man, I am stoned. <laughs> All right. So speaking of cringeworthy, let's dive into that section. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Alex, Another great segue. <laughs> You're killing it. You're killing your, me and you're killing it. What was your my, uh, cringeworthy moment, Alex? So my cringeworthy moment of the week was uh, Billy Gunn no-selling the coffin drop and the, the match on Rampage with Darby Allen. That's been a very protected finisher. I would tell you, to my knowledge, nobody's kicked out of it until Friday. And to see somebody kick out of it who is 55-year-old, uh, Billy Gunn off a no sell one count, uh, just awful. And they didn't really make a big deal out of it. Like to me, that should have been something where the first time someone kicks out of it, or even if it's not the first time, say I'm wrong on that, then that should be still, somebody should be kicking out at that at two and 2.99 or 2.98. That's not something that you should no sell a one count on, especially with Billy Gunn. That just, it really annoyed me. If you wanted to have him hit two different coffin drops on him as an or as a way to sell uh i would have just had darby do it right away i would have had him do the coffin drop and then go hit it from the other side and then commentary says billy gun's way bigger than him so he's making sure that he's really you know putting you know putting the final nail in the coffin drop essentially nice. and i'm really proud of that i came up with it as i said it <laughs> it's very good um and so for me that like just to have Billy Gunn do that, like it, it really, when I watched it, I was like, did he just go into business for himself? But I don't think he did. I think <clears throat> the way that Darby immediately popped up to go do the other spot tells me that that, that wasn't the case, but it, it just didn't make sense to me. And they should have made it a bigger deal when somebody did that. I would have rathered see pretty much anybody. I would have rather see one of Billy Gunn's sons kick out of that. And I can't stand <laughs> those two goobers, but that's just me. I mean, even that cracker barrel, barrel from all out the original all out sold that thing better than billy gunn did that he destroyed that thing but <laughs> yeah to a, a jacked up whether it's legal or illegal uh man like billy gunn just come on give it at least a two you know he's the american stone stone <laughs> <laughs> he's, no, an ass man. he's an yeah. ass man 
<laughs> He's an ass man. Um, I was looking forward to the match coming into it, just thinking of the size differential and like Billy Gunn's a he's a fucking horse. Like he's a huge guy. But then I forgot that, yeah, in singles competition, he's not that good. He's always been dull and he under delivers, even though he'll tell a decent enough story, I guess. But I never saw what other wrestlers saw in him and what other promotions see in him. It just never translated to me as the, you know, smart, cynical fan. So coming, I totally agree with you, Alex, about the no sell on the coffin drop. I think it's probably in his mind. He thinks, well, Darby's too small. I have to take it twice. I'm guessing that's what it is. Um, Obviously, we don't have any backstage news or insight to know what the hell happened in the layout of that match. But yeah, definitely seemed a little bit off and he doesn't need to be protected, especially when he's not been on TV um since he was last in the crowd during the pandemic although i will say i loved his son's version of uh i love titles too darby that was pretty sweet that was that was great uh chris actually said that the first time that he saw darby he said he looks like the i love turtles guy so it kind of all kind of came full circle last this week for us. yeah it was kind yeah. of yeah it was great how things know. work out that way all right sean what was your cringeworthy moment uh my cringeworthy moment of the week is WWE continuing to make their budget cuts. Uh, I think most notably now we see John Morrison, uh, Tegan Knox, and uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott, whatever he was called. Is that what it is? Shane Strickland. Yeah, um, Shane Strickland. The rest of Hit Row looks like they're out too. Um, I saw something I think uh, Meltzer put out today. Is there's Just from WWE alone, there's 80 free agents in like the talent pool of wrestlers out there now, not to mention you have the ROH people. It's just tough to see. It's probably really hard to work for a company when you can almost see the writing on the wall with people who are slightly better than you in the, in the, the list of Vince McMahon's favorites and they're getting fired. And then you're just kind of probably waiting for your day to happen. And it's like, it was less than a week away from Thanksgiving. Like that sucks to it's hard to be thankful, but it looks like some people kind of made a, good to do about it uh drake maverick put out a cool little twitter video um about just don't give up on yourself this isn't the end like everything you did you made a moment of so keep going for it so i mean hopefully these guys find something but hopefully wwe find something in their budget to keep these people around because i mean they're gonna need some people come royal rumble time yeah i'm uh i'm actually keeping my phone on in case i get a call to be in the royal rumble this year let's do it Let's do it. Uh, I, if, if Colin I, Jost and uh, Michael Shea can do it, why can't the wrestling elitists? Exactly. I think we have probably the same platform. So it was frustrating because once again, we had talked about it in the last budget cuts. They had cut three or four different couples. And then Taya Valkyrie got cut in that one. And I, I in my mind, I was like, well, that means that John Morrison better start saving a little bit more of each paycheck. And sure <laughs> enough, they let him go. I do want to say I've I've seen a lot of people online kind of getting upset with top dollar. He's really come out and talked a lot about uh, the plans that they had. So they were supposed to be, they were in a commercial that was planned to be filmed. And then they released uh, BFAB from hit row. So then they canceled it and then they actually ended up filming it still. And then they were like told a bunch of plans and like, they kept doing a bunch of stuff to the point where like they were pulled from raw, like two or three times in the same week, right before they got cut. It's like, so clearly there's not even like a whole lot of, thought going into things on their end, which is really frustrating. I think uh, a lot of people seem to be thinking that Top Dollar comes off as bitter. I don't really see that. I think that he's just being kind of real and actually 
going through the stages of grief that a lot of people go through. I've, I've lost a job that was unexpected and something that I would love doing. And I know what he's feeling through that. And he's just kind of doing that in public. And I think he's also trying to keep his name out there, which I totally get. Uh, I hope all these people are able to make you know something out of their career beyond here. But as you mentioned, with 80 people from the WWE pool alone, and then we've got ROH, uh, people that'll be free agents soon. Uh, I'm I'm actually hoping that there's another billion out there out there that's you know used to play booking games in the 90s, so that we can get another company out of this. That'd be great. Yeah, um, I you know it's funny. I think for wrestlers that don't have any storyline or anything on on the books, yeah, get rid of them. Fine, cut them because at least they're they're they have the freedom to work elsewhere. Um, I can see how that's humiliating, embarrassing, and scary from like uh, bills and lifestyle and so forth like that. But ultimately, if you're not being used, fine, get rid of them then because they have too many people that they don't know what they're doing with. And that's fine. But with these guys like this scenario, it, it has to be incredibly frustrating because it has to be such a mind fuck. And then you have every reason to be upset when Punk did his infamous expose of why he left on Cold Cabana's podcast. He talked about it's OK to be bitter and you work through it. And it's absolutely true. I've had jobs that I haven't liked that I'm working through and I have successfully worked through the rest of this year, but you're allowed to be pissed off. That's the way that you go through this, these cycles of griefs. And I think public shaming is probably the only way that WWE listens uh, on social media is when there is outcry about what they're doing and fans don't tolerate it. It's worked with the women's division uh, not being bra and panties matches anymore. And it worked with Mae Young. It's worked with a couple of different things before, I think that's kind of obnoxious and I want to go into a whole thing about woke culture or social media justice warriors or whatever the fuck. I mean, we're not talking about that, but I, but that's a way for them to respond and listen because that's something that they do care about is social media and Twitter and how they're trending or not trending. So hopefully people do talk about it because it needs to be said. Um, that being said though, that was one of the funnier things about Survivor Series last night watching the show when Vince's limo pulled up. All of these people that came out were folks that were kind of not being used. And any one of them could have been a roster cut today. Like just the irony of it, of like they're yeah. all having to like pretend like they're happy to see Vince. And and all of them are going to get cut at some point. There's not one of them was someone you'd go like, oh, yeah, that person's are great. They're having a hot angle where their merch is selling or they haven't been renamed five times by in some stupid, ridiculous name that no no human being would call someone that. It's weird because, you know, you mentioned any of those guys can go or any of those guys or girls. I'm at a point where if I were to wake up to a text message from one of you guys that says AJ Styles got let go, I'd be like, yeah, makes sense. I get it. That's the way that the WWE works right now. There, To me, there's one person that's safe. That's Roman Reigns. And that's about it. Everything else, or maybe the New Day. Roman Reigns and the New Day, uh, those are the two like people that I would expect to be there forever. But then again, even then, we could see the New Day get cut at some point, too. Like I really feel like they have laser focus on Roman. And he's a great worker, don't get me wrong. But to build yourself around just him and not really want to ever build anybody else up, it makes zero sense to me. And um, you know, I just hope that whoever does get affected by the next inevitable cuts, I hope they all continue to, to find places to work. I think Impact is becoming a better place for people to go to. It sounds like People are getting decent money offers there. And, you know, hopefully, you know, with this NOAA stuff, maybe that can open things up too. Uh, so people aren't just going to New Japan. 
Yeah. So, okay. And, uh, so, oh. oh, I was going to say, Chris, I, I think we, I think you were probably about to do one of your famous segues into your, your cringe of the week there, but I kind of cut you off there. So what was yours? Yeah. Jeez. Ruined my opportunity to have a non cringe worthy segue. No. So if you, if you've read on wrestlingelitist.com my review of Survivor Series 2021, you'd probably understand where I'm coming from, or at least know some of this already. Uh, I thought last night's show was absolute dog shit. I was very trepidatious about us talking negatively about WWE when we first launched because I didn't want us to go into tribalism. And I felt like we had to make these prefaces before anytime we talked about the product not being good. So we didn't come off negative. We didn't come off like we're shitting on them or picking on them or having being on one side versus the other. At the end of the day, the three of us want WWE to be fucking awesome because it makes our show more popular potentially it gives more people the opportunity to earn money there's just more to talk about we're historically wwe fans we want to see them be better this is not a good product i don't know who the fuck this is for i've repeated that multiple times during the show if you have the ability not to vomit go and watch the battle royal sponsored by pizza hut that was one of the most idiotic things you'll ever fucking see it was so terrible and so embarrassing to watch that I can't imagine that that was their best idea with all of those people on staff. This was is the best way to, to get product placement for Pizza Hut. It was absolutely terrible to watch and it just didn't make any sense and it wasn't fun to watch. It was not entertaining whatsoever. And I don't imagine anyone enjoying this. Like I mentioned in the article, you can have content that's geared towards children there hasn't been a Pixar movie that had been made where anyone would go, God, that's just insulting. Or that made me feel really fucking stupid. And Pixar doesn't respond by saying, well, then you're just an asshole who's ungrateful. Or you're just going to come and watch our shitty sequels anyways. <laughs> like they don't have that tone. It's just an odd attitude and pose that they have. So not a good show. There was a lot of things wrong about it. The fact that it's a four hour show and there's, maybe two hours of wrestling because they have to have all these obnoxiously long entrances and video packages and skits and cricket wireless commercials and pizza hut things. <laughs> and then Vince has an egg. I mean, we didn't talk about that yet. Vince has an egg that yeah. got stolen, a whodunit with a bad prop from a bad rock movie. And they talk <laughs> about the rock kind of showing up and they keep hyping this for hours and hours and hours. And those poor bastards in Brooklyn who went to the show thinking the rock was going to come back because it seemed like he was going to didn't show up. Mm, that's sad. So in summation, <laughs> I fucking hated it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I want to start off my, my comments with this is a little Caesars podcast, I believe. So naturally we're going to hate, that's right. Uh, we are going to hate the pizza hut stuff, but moreover, like, you have a whole creative team and that's what they came up with. That was their creative vision for, I mean, obviously we know who they didn't, they weren't the ones who wrote that. We know who probably did whose idea that all was, but there's a way to do product placement where it's kind of fun. And like, you're kind of like even owning it. Like AEW did with Cracker Barrel early on with the all in. And then, you know, I think they, they did it for what was it? Double or nothing as well. Um, you can do it and be fun with it, even though it's still obvious product placement. But when you're just, when it, honestly, it just makes me not want Pizza Hut when you're that bad at it. And it, it does the opposite of advertising it. 
it's just crazy that they pay they have they have writers and they can't write anything interesting. Yeah, it sounds like that was truly worse than Pizza Hut pizza. That's that's amazing. But I I only saw stuck around for like the the opening minutes of that uh Vince McMahon coming in with the egg thing and immediately just I can't do this. This makes no sense that we're going to tie in the rock. Sure. Hopefully that leads to something good later down the road, but I think we all know it's it's not happening yet and they're just kind of kind of dangling in front of the the fans like, "Oh, we got the rock. We got the rock." But they're never going to actually pull the trigger like we want them to. So it's just fucking stupid. Yeah, and if you want to do product placement, that's fine. And you can show the logo on the ring. You can put it on the video packages. You can have the repeat say it's, you know, this this repeat or this. Um, let's uh, let's take a look back at this high spot sponsored by the deep dish delicacies at Pizza Hut or deep stuffed crust pizza, whatever the hell. You can do that. You can even have it on the on, on the ringside barricade. But if you won't do that because it looks so tacky, don't have your wrestlers throwing it out and don't have almost looking pissed off when he was offered a piece of pizza in the match by our truth. And then he's mad that he doesn't have pizza at the end of the match, I guess. Like it just didn't make any sense. And it uh, not good. So um, that'll be the end of my ranting about WWE Survivor Series. Check it out on WrestlingElitist.com if you wanted to hear more of it. Uh, again, we're fans of Roman. There's some things that they're doing right, but the things that they're doing wrong is insulting the intelligence of the fans. And you can't say that it's tribalistic and you're just an AEW hardcore or an AEW stan if you think that this is fucking stupid. Okay, rant over. Let's get positive again. Let's talk about what we're anticipating. So, Alex, what are you looking forward to in the week or weeks ahead? I am looking forward to CM Punk and MJF and whatever this is leading to with those two. If they never even have a match and all they do is just talk to each other, I'm okay with that. Uh, if they end up having a match, that'll be great, which I'm sure that's where this is going. Um, but I am just looking forward to being able to see these two battle it out, hopefully for weeks on end. Uh, I really hope that we get to see, uh, kind of some like real underhanded shenanigans from MJF leading up to things too. Um, I don't want this to only be like a clean, like promo battle. Like I think back to, and it's hard to really compare this, but back when, um, like JBL was champion and uh, Batista won the world, uh, the world title shot at uh, the Royal Rumble. And then more so like JBL didn't want to face him. And then Triple H was like framing him. I want to see like that type of stuff. Like I want to see like MJF trying to distract CM Punk because he doesn't want to face him or something like that. Like I, I really want to see some underhanded tactics from him. I just want to see these two battle it out uh, from a promo standpoint and then see them go at it in the ring. I think if if MJF is the first person that CM Punk takes a loss to, that makes sense to me. I get it. But if not, I also understand that as well. Um, you know, we talked about it from day one before we even had the podcast. What are we looking forward to with CM Punk? It was MJF. Um, I'm surprised that they moved on so quickly from the Eddie Kingston stuff, and they both kind of didn't really fully seem to change their characters. So, uh, you know, Eddie's not Eddie's kind of back to being a face. And so is punk. So that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, but I'm just happy to see where this goes. Yes, that was also my thing that I was anticipating the most as well. And I think maybe looking back at Tony Khan's infamous napkin that had the full gear card on it, um, it did have punk and Wardlow 
going at it first. So maybe that's where he thinks uh, the storyline is going to start, where MJF is making Wardlow do his bidding. Maybe that's what turns Wardlow face, and you can keep this going for a few months, because I think this is a storyline potentially that could last an elongated period of time, much like the Inner Circle and Pinnacle storyline ran its course, but it did go for a long period of time where it was entertaining. So I'm assuming that's where it's going as well. I liked that they didn't try to top uh, Danielson and Hangman because that was just going to be too hard to do. And you can keep this building. It's all about anticipation. It obviously worked. The fact that we're talking about it on our goddamn show, that this is effective and we're going to be looking forward to it and fans are going to be excited about it for weeks to come. I would love to see MJF actually being a fan of punk. And maybe that's the way that they go about the angle. The fact that, yeah, he had a shitty and grin and said he was Maxwell wanted to shake his hand, but at least MJF was offering to do that. Maybe MJF is looks up to punk and maybe, maybe well, not necessarily wants him to be in pinnacle, but uh, wants to be under his learning train, his wing. Maybe that could be an original way to go about it. Uh, and I totally, uh, agree with what you said too. It almost feels like it was a sharp left turn from the Kingston feud, but you know, they're looking to move on and strike while the iron's hot and they have so many new viewers. So Alex, you had, or I'm sorry, Sean, you had some thoughts on that too. Yeah. And obviously anything with CM Punk, I'll always love, but uh, of course he added just like a little Easter egg or something subtlety into there. He came out wearing a rancid wolves hoodie or hoodie or t-shirt from violent gentlemen, Rancid, band he loves, has a album called And Out Comes the Wolves. First song on that album is Maxwell Murder. So just a little little plant, like how far you'd have to go to find that out. Just it's crazy, but it's just so subtle and just exactly what we love of punk. I, lo- I love how punk has been doing the, these just little subtle things like that. He's clearly having a lot of fun wrestling again. There's no question to me that he's happy about his decision to come come back to wrestling and come to AEW. You know, at first I was like, is he going to come back and be like, uh, this wasn't for me. hundred percent. You could tell that he is, he's here and he's, he's truly happy and enjoying what he's doing. Yeah. It's great. What time away does to someone's mental health and taking that break. Cause I was afraid too, that he was going to fucking hate it. Or you would see his attitude come out from back in the old days. But obviously this is a better environment for him. That's more conducive to his mental health where he seems like he's enjoying everything that he's doing. I mean, obviously we're just speculating. We don't know the man, but it seems like he is having a hell of a lot of fun And all that he's doing is very, very simple, old school, basic shit. He's not doing anything that's, damaging to his body potentially that he's not putting excessive amount of work in or overdoing stuff. It's all simple subtlety things. It's Easter eggs with his band shirts, with his logos. He's done it with Darby before things that he's tweeted. Uh, He's very subtle and it's paying off very well. And he's also getting um, his ring generalship back. Uh, That match with Eddie Kingston was fantastic. And I think he's going to have better matches to come. And those two in ring are going to have great matches because at first we just thought, hey, they're going to have good promos and maybe that'll be it. But uh, MJF is bringing it in the ring, too. So it'll be great to see what those two can do when they get time. It's amazing what autonomy and like freedom of expression will do for an employee. Who would have thought that's great for morale? Shut the fuck up and eat pizza. Hut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Um what I'm looking forward to is Brian Danielson killing it this episode. 
Tearing through the Dark Order, uh, Alex kind of mentioned uh, the thing we sent in the, the group chat about he's kind of got a little roll of people who are hitting hometowns. We got Chicago, Cole Cabana, uh, Alan Angels, five. Now that he's got his fucking mask off. He looks weird. He's uh, from Georgia or I think Atlanta, but they're in Duluth and then Long Island. So we got John Silver. Perfect hometown hits just right off the bat. And then further into that post, you find out if he faced someone every week, it leads you to the first AEW Dynamite that'll happen on TBS at the Prudential Center in New Jersey. It's pretty big place, pretty historical in wrestling. That'd be great for this, this feud to kind of culminate. Maybe it's a little too quick, but clearly he's hit the, the heat meter on 100. He's given it all he's got. So I definitely see this coming soon, and I, I just can't wait to see if he does this to every single member of the Dark Order. That's the way he did it to Evil Uno. That's going to just be great. Did you have something, uh, Alex? Yeah, I just think it'll be also just a, it's going to be great to see heel uh, Danielson in that aspect, but then also to get some of these guys like uh, Silver a chance to be in the ring with uh, with him as well as Alan Angels get these younger guys from the dark order, like to really get a chance to shine. I mean, Alan angels, we saw him with Kenny now twice and he's held his own in both of those matches looks pretty good. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely excited just not only from the aspect of seeing the character development for him, but to also see these guys see what they can do in the ring with, with uh, Danielson and kind of see what the outcome is in terms of how it builds their characters as well. It's a great way to counteract any smart crowd that's going to do the what chance. We talked about that earlier in the show, but it's a great way to combat that because it's going to happen inevitably. And this is a great way to organically take advantage of something that's just fallen in your lap. This is unprecedented to have someone who could potentially wrestle someone in their hometown every week. And it finally gives you the you the fan who buys a ticket to see your hometown person lose. There's a reason for it. Because before in WWE, it was just to humiliate JR, or it's just to humiliate one of the Canadian wrestlers by saying that they're from Atlanta or something. It was always a way to just be a heel and to be negative and just to shit on whoever's local. Now, yeah, that local person's going to get beat, but it allows you to live vicariously through that hometown wrestler, and you want to cheer for them. And if they lose, you know why that it's serving a greater purpose beyond just trying to piss you off. So I love this storyline, what it's going to turn into. I also like that it's forcing Hangman to be more sympathetic and care for the Dark Order uh, because, you know, he hasn't really done that yet. He hasn't fought enough for them. Or maybe I'm just forgetting the storyline a little bit. And he's had moments where um, they've wanted him to lead him, but he hasn't. um, I I don't know if he's felt like uh, um, concern for them about their welfare. Uh, in really wanting to be the guy that defends them and takes care of them. So it'll be an interesting tweak for his character as well. And he gets to be the Stone Cold Steve Austin for a group. So I liked seeing that as well. Yeah, if if it's a relationship, Dark Order definitely loves him more than he loves them. And, you know, we just hopefully get to see that beautiful relationship blossom in front of our eyes in these next couple weeks. Who is Hangman's Coda going to be? Uh, Johnny Hungy. Yeah. John Silver, for sure. Yeah. He's the cutest. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So anything that you guys want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I would like to go with an honorable mention. Um, You know, neither of us or none of us really talked about this during the show, but 
the Dante Martin and Leo Rush match, those two continue to, I love seeing them as a, as a tag team. Leo continues to make me feel like an idiot for dreading him coming to AEW when I first saw him mm-hmm. as the Joker back in May. And then now seeing him actually come back when I first saw his vignette, I was like, ugh. And with the Acclaimed, that was a great match. I think the Acclaimed are really starting to show show themselves as a really good, co- a competent tag team. Uh, obviously, we've always loved every time Max Caster comes to the ring, but actually seeing them in the ring has been really good lately. But, you know, just Leo, when he, first of all, the last name Rush for him is perfect. Just the way he moves in the ring, he's so fast. Some of the things he does are the exact same moves. And I don't want to keep, you know, hitting on WWE, but like they're the exact same moves he was doing in WWE, but they look so much more meaningful when he does them in AEW because it's not like he's just hitting the checklist of like, okay, I got to do this move. Then I got to do this move and then boom, let's go home. It's like he, it's a part of the match and a part where it makes sense. Like it's during the hot tag when he's running away from people and things like that. Uh, And then also he sold a, I believe it was a super kick. And, and like went stiff as a board and just fell backwards. It wasn't in a comedic way, but it was just a beautiful sell. And I just want to give him a shout out for that. I loved that. Uh, seeing him and Dante Martin, I don't know exactly what they're going to do in terms of how this relationship is going to be moving forward. I hope that they stay together. I know there's the whole kind of recruiting of Dante right now. Honestly, like if I'm looking at this right now in a couple of months, I want to see them facing the Lucha Brothers at Revolution for the titles. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I think at first this was just an angle that was going to be on TV for a couple of weeks and let's see what happens. Let's go with the flow and see where it goes. But definitely I'm waiting for the Leo Rush heel turn to come far down the line. doesn't need to happen immediately and they don't need to have a blow off match anytime soon. What you mentioned, though, about being reticent of him coming in AEW, I think that's the silver lining on all these guys getting cut. There's 80 guys that have been cut or girls that have been cut. I'd love to see who's actually really, really great at professional wrestling when they get into a professional wrestling company. Who knows? Maybe maybe Braun is amazing, and we just don't know. <laughs> we just never had a chance to see it. Like, Which I, I don't you. know if that's going to be the case, but you never know. Like there, there could be a lot of talent um, that we have never had appreciation for because of the system and because of the bad creative that they never had an opportunity to really be free. And that's something that I think gives us hope and gives hopefully them hope as well, that they get to apply their trade. And as JR will always say on his podcast, they get to uh, learn a new hold, you know? And specifically thinking on that, I actually meant to bring this up when we were talking about match of the week. They continue to show Tony Nese ringside for all these matches. I'm actually seeing Leo makes me interested. And what is, what is Tony, Tony Nese actually like? Uh, because he didn't really do a whole lot for me when he was on 205 Live, but like they obviously they're working towards him going against Sammy at some point for that TNT title, and I'm kind of interested in it now just because clearly Tony Khan has a pretty good eye for the guys that are being overlooked. I thought he was going to be the breakout of the Cruiserweight Classic. I, I, was, I, I was convinced of it. I was like, oh, that's the guy that's going to be the one that Vince will like because of his body size. And he looks legitimate. Like, he looks like a huge dude. And I like, and AEW's calling him a premier athlete, which he looks like a premier athlete. So maybe there's chance there. Yeah. I, you know, I think I overlooked him in, in the Cruiserweight Classic just because there were so many guys that oh, I yeah, knew that's... going into it that I loved. You know, Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, and that Kota Ibushi. Um, there was just a couple other guys. I think was Leo in that actually? 
Uh, right. No, definitely not TJP's. Don't <laughs> that, please. Uh, <laughs> and uh, even Cedric Alexander, I think, you know, Cedric Alexander came out of that. For me, I think he was the one that was like the guy who I hadn't really, I'd seen him one oh, time yeah. at an ROH show, but he was the guy who came out of his match where I was like, that guy's amazing. We and, saw him uh, at uh, AAW. Oh yeah, we did saw we saw him at AEW AEW as well. He didn't really catch my eye then, but I totally saw him as like you said, somebody that you know Vince would love. Uh, so I'm I'm just excited to see what it means for him and and other people like you said. Maybe this these people are going to go somewhere else, and and there's going to be people who shock us. Look at Drew McIntyre who did it in terms of you know he went and built his name up outside of the WWE and then yeah. came back. Yeah, good point. Yeah, so I'm excited yeah. to see it too. Yeah, and and. The, the women too that that have been cut, they are very protected and they're not given free reign and their characters don't make sense typically in WWE. So I think there's a lot of women that are free agents right now that could really liven up uh, Britt Baker and have give her some interesting dance partners because no none of us want to see her lose the title anytime soon. So it'll allow uh, some folks to do some jobs to her, but also build up that division as well. So um, yeah, her her and Ember Moon would be great. God, I that's totally a, forgot about Ember Moon. That's a, a classic baby face versus a, just amazing heel. Like, that, that is a that is an awesome match. That could be four stars without even they could be on autopilot. That would be a four star right. match. All righty, cool. So uh, that's going to wrap up the show today. Again, please visit wrestlingelitist.com. We have some new columns that are up regarding classic Survivor Series matches. We'll have some articles about. Uh, some things, some surprise things to come. November is going to be a busy month for us on the website. We'll also have some more special editions of podcasts that'll be dropping, maybe even as early as this week. Uh, and we'll have much more to come in the weeks ahead. So thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Please share the podcast on social media. If you're a fan, share it with a fan, get them invested, and then ask us some questions that we can answer on the show. Uh, we're looking very much forward to interacting with you. And Rick Rude, hit the music. Hit the music.